0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him.
1: You're killing me, man.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei of Card. Joining us today are recently returned Noir member, Diamond Fury. Hello, hello. And Noir MPSI coordinator, Zero Cool.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Zero, aka Zeroke. If you've been in any of our MPSI rooms, you'll be very familiar with this gentleman. Love our new MPSI program, by the way. Super cool. Thanks, Alec. Okay, uh, we've got some interesting stuff on this show. Uh, we wanted to have a guest for you, but I'll be upfront with everyone. It seems like his work called him away. So unfortunately, we are not going to be able to talk to that guest on this show, but I will try to get him on a future one. He has been a recent opponent of ours on a lot of our contracts, and so it would be very interesting to get his perspective. But in lieu of that, what we do have for you are some pretty cool contract updates. Uh, a follow-up on the Prospector pack, and a look at some pretty cool patch notes, which are going to change a lot of things in structure combat, among other things. But first, our main story, a CSM member has recently been promoted to a member of CCP staff. Congratulations to Suetonia, a.k.a. the new CCP Kestrel.
2: Very good hire. I'm very excited about this.
0: Yeah, he has been a stalwart of the CSM community and just the EVE community in general. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, I would kind of characterize him as the CSM's numbers guy. Like he knows the ins and outs of every stat, every ship, how it's all going to interact with each other. Um, he's a small gang and theory crafting expert. Very, very compelling resource for CCP to have on their staff. Presumably, they will make good use of him.
2: I'm also sad for the loss to the Twitch community because I assume that as a CCP member, he won't be able to stream like he was. So that's a, that'll be a big loss. He was a big streamer. And he was very popular and he was on quite often.
1: Very influential, of course, in uh, the area his corp uh, originates from as well. I mean, for me, I spent a lot of time around that area. Um, my first sort of venture into NullSec was uh, in the decline area and uh, I spent a little while there and and they were neighbors of ours and you know very sort of influential in in the space and somebody I learned a lot about his corp and things and then coming back to the game a year later I ended up the other side and in syndicate and again you know sort of his presence and his corp's presence in that area very strong and very sort of uh, influential people have a lot of time and respect for him. I think that
0: respect is widely shared among the Eve community. I honestly I don't know a single player that dislikes him, which considering this is Eve, that's saying quite a bit.
2: That is saying a lot.
0: But yeah, he's just been um uh, I don't know, he's been on the declarations of war ballot pretty much every time he's run. And yeah, I i think he's been on most um like the Nulsec ballots that that people hand out. He's just a guy that everyone wanted involved in EVE governance. And now he will be, hopefully, permanently or at least for several years. Turning to Noir news, we have a contract update for you. Um, You will have heard from our previous episode that we had deployed to Solitude and got involved in the local politics there, essentially helping to realign the entire region. Well, and things did not stop there. Uh, as you'll remember, we had uh, quite a few interactions with faction warfare groups on that contract. And apparently somebody liked us so much that they hired us to go into the war zone to fight between the Galenti and the Kaldari. And that, I think, is a first for us. I don't recall us having a long-term faction warfare contract before, and it has been very interesting.
1: I've left every minute of this contract, I have to be honest. Uh, again, going back to my first days in EVE, my first venture into PvP was being taken by some keen FC into faction warfare space. And it's it's interesting to me how, you know, when when you get into EVE, a lot of it is about avoiding being blown up or, or avoiding conflict or avoiding, you know, some sort of consequence to your actions. It, it, that goes in high sec uh, as it does in roaming through low-sec, but also if you live in wormhole space or if you live in in NALSEC, but that was the first taste I had of people who wanted to fight each other. And that's pretty much what kept me going in the game and got me into PvP. So for me, this contract has been an opportunity to revisit some of the things that really got me into PvP and EVE and see it from a completely different point of view. You know, I'm now 18 months further along my journey and I, I have not returned to Faction warfare straight since. And it's been very interesting to see it from a different point of view. Well, let's talk about that. Um, What's as good as you
0: remember? What's changed? Are there shortcomings to Faction Warfare that you hadn't noticed
1: before that you do now? I think for me, what's changed is very little. Um, I remember that, you know, you'd always have a a few characters here and there dotted around. Um, Some wanted to fight you and some didn't. Some were willing to take on larger groups of people jumping into the system and some weren't. Uh, that, That bit hasn't changed at all uh what's good about it though is it's still that place where people want to fight you um i've never <laughs> never been anywhere else in eve where you can uh, get in a ship and you can roam around and not everyone is going to run away from you uh some people will take on fights outnumbered some people will uh, do some very interesting things with escalation um i mean where else can eve can you can you take out a t1 frigate and get reliable content without being sort of overwhelmed by, by something. But th- that's not always the case in, in Faction Warfare, of course.
0: And we have experienced a, a pretty wide range of engagements. It's either been frigate 1v1s or like really small fights there. Uh, we have had a couple like 5v5-ish type fights, but really it's been like one or two people versus one or two people. And then it's been just cap drops. Absolutely. Not much in the middle there. I was kind of hoping to see, I don't know, like roaming Brudix fleets from the Galenti or something appropriately themed, but it just doesn't seem to be out there at least right now.
2: Uh, it's there's a there's a value loss um, in faction warfare for like the low end stuff is really easy to manage and loss mitigation is really like easy, right? Um, and the the cap drop level is is where it's going anyway so not a lot of people want to participate in that middle ground where they're gonna like they're if they take out their five rudixes they're definitely getting cap dropped or nobody will fight them that's basically how their night will end
1: we did have one engagement when we first started the contract where we we had a few cruises with us um i was just providing some support to the uh, locals and we were looking at taking some of the open complexes where you know anything goes and uh, as a result, there were some T2 cruisers around in our group, um, and we were returning home, really, um, at the end of a successful little evening, taking some, some space and things. And we jumped into a system, and, and they happened to be a few vexers uh, sort of hanging around on the gate. Uh, they didn't seem to be camping or waiting for somebody to jump through. They We just seemed to be passing them passing them in transit. Well, because the two groups, uh, the one I was with and, and the group of xs were effectively at war with each other, they decided to fight on the gate. And it seemed to be a reasonable engagement, cruisers versus cruisers. And then suddenly an erasio decloaks and a fax drops. And it's the first time in naive time that I've seen a fax rep in T1 cruisers. Uh, very effective, of course. Um, needless to say, we didn't come out of that engagement uh, positive, but... uh It was very interesting to see the risks people will take with some of their caps.
0: We were just talking about that last night. The fax is extremely efficient pilot-wise, perhaps not ISK-wise these days. But if your shortage is not money, but rather bodies, risking a fax is actually pretty good. I mean, your chances of getting counter-dropped are, you know, they're pretty substantial. But, you know, if that doesn't happen, it's pretty difficult to
1: dislodge you or your fleet from that grid. Absolutely. I mean, there was a limited choice at this point, of course, you know, the, the people on grid, they, they couldn't jump back through the gate, they, they'd engaged, uh, they couldn't get away. So they just had to grin and bear it, really. Uh, quite fun uh, to see an Arazu appear. It, it's very, uh, sorry, um, the Arazu, quite common, but quite fun to see that fax appear. Um, before my eyes, it's not something I see very often being in a, in a small gang group, really.
0: We should talk a little bit about what we're doing here. Um, the contract is still technically ongoing, but it's wrapping up. It'll be close to done by the time this podcast comes out. So I think we're all right to talk about it. Uh, the initial plan, as I understood it, was uh, kind of framed as the Siege of Ostengale, which if you're not familiar with the geography of the area, Ostengel is right next to Stackmon, which is the Placid Trade Hub. and uh, It's also a very active system for EVE University. And for us, as a matter of fact, with our MPSI program, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Ostengale is low-sec. It's right adjacent to that high-sec system. So it's a natural choke point, a natural strategic place for you to have camps, for you to have maybe safe structures for you to jump in in terms of caps and freighters and stuff. And it has a lot of gates, so it goes a lot of different places within Placid. It can lead you to Syndicate, can lead you to Solitude, within a couple jumps. So it is a pretty key strategic location, even if you're not involved in faction warfare. Now, If you are in faction warfare, it's a gem. We were initially planned to do like a major offensive operation there. And we did start to do that maybe for the first day or two, but it became immediately apparent to everybody involved that the uh, Galenti also kind of had the same idea and they were pushing back against the Kaldari in several systems. So the coordinated offensive turned into more of a coordinated defensive action as we wound up doing more cleanup assistance, trying to keep uh, faction warfare plexus from falling into the hands of the Galenti militia while we were going on the offense more on like a citadel basis, attacking a few uh, key citadels for different groups that are either connected to the Galenti militia or sympathetic to the Galenti militia. So that's kind of where things are, have been at for the past couple of days. Um, we're wrapping up some of the structures now. I, I don't really do faction warfare, so I have a hard time getting a sense of how typical the balance of power is in the various systems as far as like Glenti versus Kaldari. But it does seem like the Glenti have gained some significant ground and the Kaldari have been kind of backed up, but it hasn't been a, a real route or anything like that. Um, I definitely don't get the sense that either group feels uh, a lot of momentum for or against them. It's just kind of a grind right now.
1: now for me, it's interesting that with Faction Warfare, it's often mentioned in different parts of EVE uh, sort of media. But if you sort of go searching for, I tried to do a bit of research prior to our contract, a little bit of re- a refresh about Faction Warfare, and you get a few YouTube videos or, or posts online about how, you know, how, what to what to put together uh what sort of t1 frigate to put together how to get some loyalty points um very little else okay so you don't really get a sense of the overarching mechanics of faction warfare unless you speak to the people involved in it and um, i've since learned that perhaps what's happening with faction warfare is the loyalty points generated are of course valuable. If it's then uh you know your Caldari loyalty points are going to be able to be spent in, in the stores for items that are very useful. I mean, how often do we you know use Caldari Navy ammo or the certain ships and things? No, um, absolutely. And then on the on the other hand, then you've got the Galente uh loyalty points being equally valuable to other people. What seems to be happening is and perhaps this is well known, I don't know, but there is a vested interest in the wider New Eden community for perhaps the prices of these items to fluctuate. And by, say, Kaldari being dominant for a period of time, that's going to decrease the the value of these uh, these items. Because, of course, Kaldari loyalty points are going to be much easier to come by. And therefore, you're going to see a lot more of these Kaldari these items, and then they're going to reduce in price. Well, that uh, Well, before
0: you go on, we we should explain to our audience, if they're not familiar with faction warfare, as your control of the war zone increases, you get bonuses to your loyalty points. It can be pretty significant. I think if if it's top tier, you get double the loyalty points. So if your side is winning, you're getting a lot of these loyalty points much faster, and you can trade them for items effectively
1: cheaper. I didn't realize that. I, I heard something about tiers. I didn't yeah, about that's it. what right. they're
0: talking about. That there are certain milestones at which they unlock militia-wide rewards of greater loyalty points for everything that they're doing. I think it applies to both kills and plexing. Wow. So as you're winning or have won, you get to reap the rewards for a little while. But then, of course, like you mentioned, the market forces, the group that's on the other end, their loyalty points become more scarce and thus more valuable.
1: It's a very interesting dynamic and something that I not even considered prior to this contract.
0: It's, it's I mean, I like the idea you should absolutely have incentives to, to fight and win. And if you're on the winning side, that should ha- confer some advantages. It does have the downside of um, kind of setting up this incentive system for people to game which side is winning for how long rather than just let the conflict play out organically. I do think that kind of sucks, but I'm not sure there's a real way around it.
1: Yes, indeed. That that did. I was a bit dismayed by that, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah. The way, the way around it would be a, a reconstruction, uh large scale. Right. So.
0: So not happening. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> oh, CCP faction warfare, your unloved stepchild. They have done some things to it, but yeah, it clearly has some issues. Um, the botability of the sites seems extremely high and extremely low-risk. Effectively, we're seeing a lot of bots and tristans just go into the sites, and then as soon as you appear on dscan, they're already out. And we'll just rinse and repeat that. It's like botting a Nullsec, except if you successfully catch it, instead of killing an Ishtar, you're killing a check-one frigate.
1: Potentially one without much of a fit-in as well.
0: Yeah, they don't really have much of an incentive to fit it well just fit it literally the bare minimum to do i guess orbiting i don't even know if they have to kill an npc it's not clear to me
1: well of course i didn't realize this either but if you're defensively plexing so if your if your uh group already has control then no you don't have to kill an npc in fact the npc is in some way in your defense
0: yeah that's a hard nut to crack design wise We should talk about the other hard nut to crack, which is Cruiser's Crew, the primary offensive-defensive wing of the Galenti Militia, as far as I can tell. Uh, There are, of course, other big-name corps in the area, like Aderon Robotics. Shout out to those guys. But Cruiser's Crew has definitely done the heavy lifting in the area. You might be familiar with them, audience, from our contract in Solitude. Placid is actually their main staging area, or was recently. Um, So we're running into them quite a bit, Um, mostly on the structure fights themselves, not actually like any of the complex stuff, although we might have run into them occasionally. Primarily, they have been the structure attack and defense arm of Glenty Militia.
1: So my knowledge of Cruises crew goes back to a few posts I saw a few years ago where they advertised themselves as returning. And they said that they, they're the type of group that would take fights no matter what, Uh, whether they thought they could win or not, they would take the fight. And I have to say so far, uh, that's kind of been my experience.
0: Well, they're definitely quite scrappy. Um, You know, they, they're pretty substantial numbers wise, so they can take a lot of these fights and have a pretty good chance of winning them. Uh, And, the other night we had a a group with I think it was State Protectorate, No Forks, and IRED There or some local groups in the area, and they're attacking a structure. Cruisers crew showed up to defend and dropped snuff super caps. So they they have some pretty powerful bat phones. So I, I you know they're they're making that statement with a lot of confidence for a reason. <laughs> But at the same time, yeah, they're 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 quite good. Um, I know their reputation is somewhat controversial. Some people like them, some people don't like them. Some people don't like them specifically because they're willing to work with snuff. Um, I've I've never had an issue with Cruiser's crew. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people don't like their alliance exec. He's never done anything wrong to me that I'm aware of. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's definitely outspoken and definitely a group that likes to of be an instigator and then you know goes out and finds fights and starts fights kind of go in their own way as well like they don't really um make a lot of local friends it seems
1: yeah absolutely i mean my my other uh contact with cruises crew has been when i was in university and they would just suddenly appear sometimes in large groups and get involved in in various sort of scraps and arguments over timers and things, um, never really felt that they were sort of trying to blob out, outship. ship. Um, they would certainly, you know, bring more than you had and uh, try and win, but uh, I never really got the sense that they were they were actively trying to shut you down. They just really seem to be a group that wants to have content and they don't seem to mind where that content comes from necessarily.
0: I mean, unless you're a less than 10 core, pretty much everybody has that approach. Some groups are more willing to take risks than others. Pretty much everybody is looking to maximize the chance that they're going to go on field and win. And if they're going to bring more people to make that happen, then pretty much everybody's willing to do
1: that. So I wouldn't say that's a knock on any alliance, really. Oh, indeed. And I just felt that they, they always held back uh, in in some way, which was, was nice uh, when I was in Eve, Uni because at least you felt that you had an opportunity to fight back. Um, so, and again, even in this contract area, sometimes it feels like they're, they're, they're just holding back a little bit, like we do sometimes, just to sort of keep the, the, the content flowing.
0: Well, the only experience I've had with them outside of the snuff drop on this campaign, we teamed up with Kybernauts to hit a structure. so armor timer. We did uh, pretty good progress. I want to say we were almost two-thirds done, and they turned up with a 15-man mixed battleship guardian fleet. Which we were looking at with our, I think we had 10 to 12 Drekaviks with, um, I think a little bit of that was like mixed support. So maybe like nine drex, lodgy, and some tackle. And we were like, hmm, that's, that's a tough fight, but that might be engageable. And then they showed a Pilgrim. We're like, oh, that's going to have at least one fax behind it. Plus who knows what else. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also knew they had a Hodred because we had seen it sign him into position earlier. So it was like, all right, well, I guess we won't do that. But it was close. We were we were pretty close to wanting to engage them. If we hadn't seen the Pilgrim, we probably would have, uh, I think. Well, that's that's just the way of it. But, you know, again, Kyber had less people, but thought maybe the odds might be in their favor, and DPS and maybe damage mitigation-wise, they were willing to take it. So props to CC for at least trying to look engageable. <laughs>
2: Which is also a great strategy. Look engageable.
0: <laughs> right. Uh unfortunately the uh the the snuff super drop that happened just totally devastated the fleet that we were in. Uh they were totally caught out, also in Drax, incidentally. Um they they tried to pull range and escape most of their fleet. I, I think they got a fair few away actually, but yeah, it was a pretty painful loss for the locals. Well, that's the way it goes in low sec, you know, and null sec too, for that matter. You you try to do what you can. You want the fight. You want to try to make it happen. Every side thinks, you know, if you are going to take the field, your side thinks that you have what you need to win. If the other side takes the field, they think what they they have what they need to win. It really comes down to who knew more about the other side, who was right, who theory crafted, and who was going to execute better,
1: and who's going to take the risk ultimately.
0: Yeah, because all, all combat in EVE, except if you're, like, flying through a gate or something, you know, certainly structure timers, they're very optional. You can elect to bring your fleet and maybe lose the fleet and maybe lose the structure, or you can elect to just let the structure die or get saved. You would only put your fleet on field if you think that you could win. Now, what that means for different groups, yeah, that's that's as varied as there are groups in EVE. Um, there are some groups which need like a two to one, three to one advantage till they're confident that happens. Some groups just want to know if they have a capital or super capital advantage. Um, some groups are confident they can kite and snipe and dance around danger enough to maybe get some kills. And you know, if they can't you know, achieve the objective, they'll at least make the enemy fleet bleed a little bit. There are some groups that will do it if they think they have a chance of winning, period, and they'll just kind of go for it, and everywhere in between.
1: I think my favorite variety on that is when a group engages because they they want to do something rather than uh, not do something, and they will perhaps take a fight or take an engagement which they know they can't win, uh, but they'll do it because they might they might lose their, their members or, or their members' interest if they... If they don't do something to defend or if they don't do something to to do, uh, to make content. And uh, I think when that pressure is applied and, you know, you never know what's going on on the other side. uh, You know, when 30 people turn up for a fleet and the FC says, oh, we're not going to do anything with this. Uh, You can only do that so often before people stop logging in. So uh, I think that dynamic is a fascinating one for me, for Eve.
0: Yeah, it's a, a knife's edge because <laughs> it can also be very demoralizing if you take that fleet and suicide it. Absolutely. You really got to know your people.
1: I get the sense the cruisers crew are the group that maybe have allowed their members to feel okay about losses.
2: It is a strange and shifting paradigm, uh, small game combat, and it's very difficult to manage.
0: Yeah, I hope we do get uh, the leader of Cruiser's crew on the show. That's who we're trying to get for this show. Um, he's he's definitely indicated interest, so hopefully we can find a, a show that will fit his schedule. But uh, they did experience a pretty drastic loss in the Solitude campaign, and that was the last we saw of them. Now, granted, they engaged in that with every expectation they had what they needed to win, and it was kind of a rude surprise that they did not. But, you know, that was a pretty substantial loss for them. It seemed to take them out of the fight. Now, I think there's significant evidence that there are also other things going on behind the scenes with as far as their relationship with the defenders, which maybe even if they were inclined to show up, maybe they just didn't want to. Uh, And I think that's perfectly fair as well. Uh, They certainly haven't been shy about fighting in Placid so far.
1: Absolutely. I, I did wonder if the part of the reason that they, they stopped coming to those fights in solitude was because they, they were no longer invested in it rather than because they didn't think they could win because they certainly could have uh, competed.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I think word in the weeds that I was hearing was that uh, the defenders, like we were just talking about in their paradigm, the defenders of the structures weren't able to form and be effective and that there's not a lot of incentive for a defender's bat phone to show up if, if the defender's not there, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, why Why should I care about this structure if you're not going to care about the structure? It's your structure. <laughs> I, I definitely know that feel. There's a famous Twitch clip of me <laughs> giving uh, some Alliance in Great Wildlands a bit of a riot act read because they're like, whoa, I don't want to go fight. I'm like, well, you know, I think we can win, man. He's like, no, what's the point? Like, I don't know, man. It's your structure. You tell me what the point is. I'm here to help you. <laughs> why should I fleet up and, and spend my time and risk my ships if you're not even willing to do that it doesn't make any sense now now you can pay me to care but that's all other matter mm-hmm. but right now for the next couple days anyway we care about the Glenty militia versus the caldari militia and it's definitely been interesting so far I would actually love to come back to faction warfare with us actually in one of the militias we tried to make that happen for this one but unfortunately our standings weren't quite there but it, it seemed like that would be very interesting and you know hopefully we get another contract opportunity to do something like that down the line just to give it a shot i think it'd be cool
2: absolutely yes nor mercenary alliance, it's because we care <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can rent our empathy for very affordable prices Uh, Well, speaking of affordable prices, the Prospector Pack.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now that is a champion segue.
0: (laughs) Transitions for the win. Uh, We had the Prospector Pack poll. Now this is, of course, regarding CCP deciding that they wanted to sell a not super well fit uh, retriever. And that would be, I think it was a $25 pack. Uh, It wasn't just the ship, but that was kind of presented as one of the primary things about it. And it was certainly the primary thing the community seized on because this would be a magic ship that just kind of appears once you give CCP real money, which of course undercuts everybody that's building them in the game. So we asked the audience, under what conditions would CCP selling ships be okay? The options were uh, selling ships or items directly for money is never good. It could be okay. Okay. It could be okay if it's once per account. Uh, It could be okay if it's once per account and the players made the ship. Or there's really no problem whatsoever. Why is everybody upset? 61% think that no selling at all is ever good. With uh, players split on whether uh, ships sold directly are fine or that they're directly only if they're once per account. And there's also a small minority that think it might be okay once per account if the ships are spawned rather than player-made. So, people definitely not in favor of CCP spawning ships. Kind of split on how, if it's a player-made ship, it could be implemented successfully. The overwhelming majority not interested in any of this stuff whatsoever. Now, Diamond and Zero were not here when we were discussing this in the previous shows, and I know Zero in particular has a very interesting perspective here. So I'm going to give it over to you, Zero. Talk about your thoughts on these ship
1: pack purchases. Okay, so I'm just going to roll back a little bit to um, when I first started playing Eve. But before I do that, I just wanted to think about the Retriever itself. You know, it's about 50 mil ship. Um, something that you can, you know, sort of get if you if you join a group, they'll they'll give you one half price or something. You know, they're quite a, a sort of new player oriented ship. As long as you're Omega, I think, isn't it? You need Omega. Um, well, it's a controversial opinion of mine, perhaps. But when I first started playing Eve, I, I've always been into uh, science fiction games and, and sort of games with RNG, or um, especially if you can influence that RNG with uh, you know sort of mathematical, statistical stuff. And, and I, I really sort of got into Eve quickly when I realized it was basically like a board game in space for me. um, And also a bit of a sort of um, a strategy game. And I was in, on an Alpha account, and I was having a bit of a bit of a fun time. And of course, the, the very thing you get told right from the beginning is, you must join a corp, you must join a corp. And I didn't want to. And like many people, I just wanted to try the game out on my own. I didn't want to join a corp, mainly because I, I couldn't decide what corp to join. EVE University seemed a little bit daunting. They had lots of rules and things. And I thought, you know, am I going to be able to do that stuff? Um it seems daft now, thinking back. But anyway, um, I was a few days into the game. I was an alpha account. I was training the skills. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, you know, you can look up fits for ships and you get so many varying opinions. You can talk to people and you get so many varying opinions. You get told, do this, do that, buy this ship, fit it like this. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I was having a whale of a time. And I really, I was on the verge of, of subscribing. And, you know, getting that Omega status and, and the double trading speed and the ability to cloak was a big thing for me. I was like, oh, that's that's a, you know, there's a doorway there. If you if you get the Omega, you can cloak. That's, that's a huge difference in the amount of sort of the fun you can have in the game, potentially. And I just couldn't bring myself to just subscribe. I kind of wanted, and I, I don't know if other people have this feeling sometimes, I just wanted a special offer of some kind, something to in my mind justify why i should uh, you know part with my hard earned money and you know pay ccp to allow me to play this game and then this sort of this thing pops up uh, i'm sure people are aware of this but if you if you sign up for an alpha account and it's a new account uh, even if you take the 1 million skill points after a few days you get this offer that pops up in game and it says you know you can have I think is 7 days omega Plus, and then there's a few little bits and pieces. I think there might be, I don't know, maybe a, a small cerebral accelerator in there. Maybe not. But one of the things that is in this uh, little pack, and it's very low cost. It's just a few, in, in the UK, it's just a few pounds, right? It's just, it's literally just a little, a few pounds. Would you um, say the price
0: of a cup of coffee? Roughly? Oh,
1: yes, absolutely. Okay. For the price of a cup of coffee and, and maybe a cake, um, you can have seven days of Omega and a fully fitted destroyer. Now, people have heard about this, of course. But well, you look at it and it, it's got, you know, the full rack of guns and it's got, you know, the modules, and you think, well, that's a nice little incentive, right? I mean, I, I can spawn this anywhere in space, and I can just have this little ship, and I can, that could be my little mental justification for why I've taken that extra step and parted with real money to play this space game. So when I first started playing Eve. I did that and that was my gateway if you want into a mega subscription and I've been pretty much subscribed ever since um, not really engaged much in the packs the CCP put out there I think I might have done one or two of the um, the the ones that include skill points and skilling and, and the uh, cerebral accelerators you know you can get like one time per account packs like the uh, gold pack or whatever and sometimes they come with a bit of a mega time and and things as well um maybe some skins and things but essentially for me that that little extra incentive that you can have this thing for free it's not free you're paying for it but you can have this this thing without having to join a call without having to interact with other people you you can just be your little thing that you can play about with um was enough for me to, to sort of Part with my money, and then and then I won't keep the story going on too long. But about a year later, I decided to su- subscribe my second account. Um, I, I you know became one of those people that was going to be a multi-boxer. So I, I decided to go for a second account, and I I was really interested in the war uh, in Delve, and I wanted to go down there and have a look. I just wanted I heard about it. I wanted to go and see it without taking my main. So I just I just sorted out a new account and. I was look I was on the lookout for this pack, if I'm being completely honest, I wanted it to pop up because I wanted to spawn this destroyer somewhere in delve and just run some missions and that's exactly what i did it It did pop up I did again part with a few pounds rather than a coffee and a cake somewhere and I spawned this destroyer in the middle of NPC delve and I ran some missions and i, I witnessed you know various groups sino and in. 1,000 players, 2,000 players. I went and took a shuttle to 1DQ and I saw the, the bubble camp and I saw various things. And I wouldn't have done that um, without sort of that being part of the story. So I've got, you know, a different perspective, having played the game a lot longer now, about, you know, the in-game economy and the impact of, of spawning things out of thin air. And I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm troubled by that. Um, but I just wanted to share that because you know, I, perhaps I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that extra incentive to, to part with my money at the beginning.
0: So let me ask you a question, Zero. Mm-hmm. And I know this might challenge your memory of it, and you know, I'm sure there, there's some hindsight bias involved, but if you think back to when you were deciding whether or not to buy the pack, would you have considered yourself retained at that point? Now, I know you weren't Omega, but do you think you would have kept playing regardless for, say, I
1: don't know, three months? Before that pack purchase? was I a retained yeah. player? I, was, I, I wasn't a retained player even after I bought the pack. I think I became a retained player, and I, this is what I have to submit. <laughs> I became a retained player when I finally joined my first fleet. Um, and that would have mm. been perhaps a week or so later. It was an NPSI fleet uh, run by somebody called Laurelite who uh, used to do Twitch streams and and anyone could join fleets uh, with Lorelite from uh, Stackmon area and um, Lorelite just took us into uh, Faction Morpheus space and and showed us that you can use T1 frigates to blow up the shacks and things and it was brilliant. Uh, That was my retaining moment.
2: I have a follow-up question in that case. Mm -hmm. Zero? In that NPSI fleet did you happen to fly a destroyer?
1: (laughs) No, uh, Laura Light handed me an Atron, a brick tanked Atron for free and said, don't worry about it. If it blows up, you'll get another one.
0: Uh, what a legend.
1: So that's kind of, you know, I, I think that for me is, is, you know, this is where these destroyers are really, isn't it? These theoretical destroyers and mining barges, they're in the hands of other players who have the means to give them to you for free. You don't need to buy them off CCP. Because they're there anyway. There's somebody's willing to just hand them to you.
2: Yes, and and the and the reality of of your retention not being ensnared by a pack. Um, but I, I will I will uh, acquiesce to your to your story being that like you may not have still been there to be retained were it not the pack. So I'll give that to you. That's cool.
0: And so um, it's at least a possibility. And you know I think from CCP's perspective and when they talk about hey we've got some data that shows you know eve players that that buy these packs go on to become tent poles of the eve community i guess you're what they're talking about
1: well uh, i thank you very much if you if you know that ever happened but uh, there, there must be some, i i do think about that sometimes what is this data because i i was one of those people and i'm still i mean now i'm three omega accounts deep and i'm you know into the game very in a very big way. So yeah, I, I do sympathize, but on, on that third account, I, I must say I didn't, uh, I didn't buy that pack, <laughs> and I probably won't buy another one ever again. But yeah, there was that early time when I wanted a, a sort of icing on the cakes, should we say? And and it wouldn't necessarily have had to have been a free gift like that. It could have been something else, though.
0: Yeah, I, I know the the feeling you're talking about that. You know, you're on the fence about something. You just need a little nudge to justify it. I think all of us have been there on something.
2: Oh yeah, I, I I buy I actually buy packs reasonably frequency frequently, um for for a veteran player because if if I'm going to renew, and I see a pack frequently, my renewal price and the pack price are usually like oh I well, yeah, I'll spend four extra dollars who cares, right? And so I I've gotten. The, the silver and platinum packs on probably about twelve different accounts over the last two years, three years.
0: And uh, even I have bought a pack. It wasn't a ship pack. It was um, a plex pack. But the the cherry on top that convinced me was not only was it slightly on sale, but it also came with a VEDMAC skin. And I had just gotten into using the VEDMAC as a solo nano ship, and I was really enjoying it. And I don't really like the VEDMAX base skin, so I was like, ooh, all right, I can, I can look like a like a fly pimp on my new ship that I really love, and okay. You know, I've been wanting, thinking about buying plexes anyway. It seems like a good time, so I went and did it.
1: Yeah, I think, again, you know, I, I'm somebody who will, will spend money on the New Eden store because I'm, I'm making that sort of re- reward-risk-time uh, balance in my mind all the time, and, and it's little things like that that's, that I look for. Um, and I'm one of those people that will wait the three months to to do the uh the the three month um multiple character training thing that a lot of people do um and, and that's why I'm always looking for that and if they ever stopped doing that i would I would probably change my spending habit then
2: Now I have a different story about the prospectors pack follow up. go for Ooh. a diamond I have completely so i i i I voted in the poll that it is never okay to sell ships to players out of nothing. And however, I have spent a great deal of time uh, over like since that broke, since that news broke, uh, since that open letter was written, I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about it. Probably a lot more, than I should have, <laughs> in, a, in a lot more greater detail than was probably going to be healthy for me to really be doing. But I can tell you, now that I'm on the other side of it, that I voted absolutely not okay, and I have theory crafted a paradigm that I would not only be okay with it, I think that it would be absolutely beneficial, a boon to the community, and would change Eve forever for the good. Well, I
0: got to hear this.
2: All right. Now, now I'm going I'm going to uh put brackets on either end of this and say this is a thought exercise. So I'm obviously not thought of everything, but I was considering a lot of the people uh who are afraid of the prospector's pack or who who were disturbed by the prospector's pack, one of the first things that jumps into everybody's head is of course, now that we can't afford to build dreadnoughts in the game, I'm going to be able to go buy a dreadnought for $50 online and make it spawn anywhere I want. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to Eve, which is absolutely true. That, that, that is a bad, bad thing to be happening. And it's it's not happening, right? Like, I don't know if, I don't know if that's part of the plan, but I even got to the point where I think that that's the best plan ever (laughs) in the, in the follow, in the following capacity. So I was thinking, I've heard uh, them talking about how they could set it up so that the players' creations were being used for the pack. Now, that that brought to mind some very easy, like, easy-to-implement and already well-established gameplay parameters where CCP could simply just post buy orders. Um And, like... I, how how live or updated it is is irrelevant to the player base like if they wanted to they could put a thousand buy orders of whatever they want and then just stockpile it for the future or they could have like a live updating system so that every time a player spawns a ship that didn't exist a buy order for that ship appears the next day right and so like when i started playing with this paradigm in my head I started really cranking into some, some concepts. I was thinking, man, you know, if they had like the Concord Capital Protectorate Keepstar in New Lie, which they would put, you know, CCP Keepstar, where buy orders would go up, but it wouldn't be for money. It would be for like Concord loyalty points, which is to an industrial player, Concord loyalty points is unaccessible right? There's a very specific gameplay that gets you Concord loyalty points. So, like, already I'm incentivized in thinking about how you could work this. So you could balance the price based on the loyalty points, and if they wanted, I mean, they could do a live update for whatever pack sells and a a buy order appears, but I mean, they don't even have to. But
0: Well, I mean, I've seen the buy order idea a lot. Yeah. And maybe you can answer this because you have theorycrafted a little bit. Why don't why wouldn't the system just be, hey, this player wants to go buy a pack and there's like a, a bot or automated CCP account or accounts, uh, maybe one in every region, that just buys the lowest priced one off of the sell orders? because there, I mean, unless the ship is super rare, there's going to be a sell order for it somewhere. It just yanks the next cheapest one off the market.
2: So the reason for that is because... The market then becomes manipulatable compared to the cost of the pack online, which is what a lot of people would be scared of, right? Like who's to say that somebody like Goons wouldn't turn their industrial complex into figuring how to market and game that so that the buy order was never realistic. And they would be they, you know, they turn the TTT into a, a buy order central and they keep everything at a ridiculous price. Because the CCP buy orders are going to hit, right?
0: No, I see. So you, you, you were envisioning a world where, like, every every retriever is just sold immediately, bought by players, and then relisted at a ridiculously high amount, right? Okay,
2: and 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 yeah, and and I don't, I don't. Uh, i don't project any uh like malice or or intent in that right like that's just what would happen the price for that item would go up and every time they release a new pack all of that stuff would disappear instantly and be reposted in the billions instead hmm. right so if you if you had a buy order contract set aside in a like maybe in one particular station right which is why i picked uli it's like a 1.0 station they could put a keep star in there and have the buy orders centrally located so that all the trade has to go into that space. And then that way, you couldn't just snap everything up off the market and relist it because it's only going to buy it out of the one station, right? And if they're selling for something that isn't ISC, if they're putting a contract up for like some kind of loyalty points uh, or even like blueprint trade or some kind of like trade contract sort of stuff, they could do whatever they wanted, right? But if it's something that's not isk, something that's harder to get or, or can only be acquired in this way, then they could, then the price doesn't become dependent on the isk price of the item being sold, but of the value of what they're trading for you, right? For it. And so that, that will incentivize players who may have be taking an isk loss, uh, selling their ship there. They're not because they're actually getting something that has a different value set.
0: Well, that's pretty interesting. One thing we know is that uh, CCP is going to address this in a a little less than a month's time on stage at FanFest. So whatever they've come up with, uh, I mean, it's not going to be rolled out by FanFest, of course, but their concept is going to be presented. I imagine regardless of what direction they go, they are going to get a ton of player feedback at the event and afterwards which we will, of course, cover because Alec is going to be there. I'll be on the ground at FanFest, and we shall see what they go with. Um, So far, all we know is that they they definitely want to continue selling packs, and they have at least tentatively committed to figuring out a way for player-manufactured ships to go in those packs instead of being spawned out of nothing. The exact mechanics of that are anyone's guess at this point. But uh, that'll be up to, I believe, CCP Berger will be handling that. And that is going to be a sweaty palms moment for him, I'm sure. I'm looking
1: (laughs) forward to it.
0: (laughs) is probably, uh, you know, of all of the things that he's going to talk about at FanFest, I know he's quite excited about his FanFest presentation. He's got to be dreading that. There's no other way. (laughs) Well, best of luck to him. Now there have been a number of patches uh, laid out in the, uh excuse me, in the build-up to Fanfest, and we have seen yet another one drop. This is a, a pretty meaty patch. We're going to go over everything. I know this show has already been a bit long, but bear with us, this patch is very consequential, especially for structure combat, which has you know quickly become the lifeblood of Eve. That's uh, probably more so than ever. Structure fighting, like station fighting, is is absolutely key. It's, it's really more, than, more important than sob fighting these days. And we have a number of updates to it. So first, there's an event going on. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about it. But the Hunter update is now live. There are multicolored pods floating around the game. And you can go shoot them. And they will drop keys that you can use to get into Sight's. For loots, Uh, there's also uh, a bit of an implant drop rate, which is actually kind of cool. And it is worth noting that in the overseers, excuse me, in the, um, the event sites, the loot drops include the blueprints and materials for the legendary Gecko drone, which is one of the most popular drones in the game. It is very rare because it's very difficult to acquire. It usually only comes out in special events. Uh nice to see them being reseeded, so it keeps the price fairly accessible to people. But yeah, if you want to go grab yourself a gecko, check out these sites. Very cool stuff. Uh there's also uh Garista Capital Forges spawning in Kaldari Low Spec Losec and Venal. You know, if you happen to have an entire coalition behind you and you can run one. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat here. There are two big things we want to talk about, the Citadel Defense nerfs and the Proteus buffs. The Citadel Defense nerfs pretty much touching every offensive damaging weapon system aside from uh, anti-subcap missiles. Uh, The point defense unit, damage cut in half. They mentioned that they were going to nerf it, but that is a pretty severe drop. Uh, It is also going to need ammo and it's going to have a reload time now. So there's going to be times when you run out of ammo, you need to reload. Small ships can come in and make some plays. Maybe at least that's the theory. Uh, I think in practice, no one's going to be counting how many shots the PDU fires. I certainly wouldn't risk my tackle fleet coming in for that for like a minute or however long it's going to be till it reloads. By the time you notice it, it's probably going to be too late, but there might be astute players out there that can make that work. Bombs have been removed from medium structures, so your Raitarus, your Athenors, your Astrohouses can no longer fit bombs. There's a one minute reload timer right now on bombs, their bomb capacity's been reduced, and they've had their explosion radius reduced. So, yeah, not awesome for bomb users anyway. I think in practice this isn't so bad, um, that explosion radius, I mean, most of the fleets that it's going to be firing at are going to be within 20 kilometers of one another anyway
1: Yeah, I think this, this, it's interesting for me that I, I'm, I've been on the receiving end of damage from citadels, and uh, you know they, they seem relatively dangerous. Uh, the, this stuff seems to you know it's reassuring to me, but I just don't know enough about the mechanics to really make a, a valuable comment on it. Um, but the, the, the bomb stuff seems interesting.
0: Now, there was a buff in here. Missile velocity has been increased by 50%, so a pretty significant range bonus to all missiles, and it also means faster time to target. This is more than anything. It's just a quality of life thing, I think. But what was very interesting to me is that they increased the velocity but didn't reduce the flight time accordingly. So they're giving citadels a much wider engagement range, um, and you know those missiles, when they're fired, they're going to hit their targets a lot faster, which is great. Now, for cap ships, the missiles got nerfed. So anti-cap missiles on these citadels reduced pretty substantially a 50% reduction in cruise damage and a 30% reduction to torpedo damage. I can tell you from having used this, uh, at least on a Fordazar, the damage is already not that great. Uh, It looks great, but when you think about the tank that a fax has locally or can project to another cap ship, it's not really that awesome. Uh you're 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 threatening, but not super threatening. And certainly if you're fitting cruises, I would get those things off there and switch over to Torps because that 50% cruise DPS nerf is crazy. Just um, about
1: the loss velocity increase, uh Alec. <clears throat> Yeah, from my point of view, you know, citadels can already target quite far, right? Um, you know, those missiles can probably now travel further than you can even target. So, really, that's that's more about those missiles getting to you more quickly. So, if you're really far away from that structure, which you might be if you're attacking a structure with drones, for example, um, you know, you're going to get red box by the structure. You had an age to get off grid before the or to warp, you know, before those missiles hit you. So, maybe perhaps that's. Uh, not more of a buff than I thought, really.
0: I really think it's just a quality of life thing. It, it takes forever for your missiles to land. Like it's it's frustratingly long. And yeah, I mean there's no, I guess, gameplay downside to it, because usually you're firing on a tackled target anyway. It's just like Alright, open up fire, it's like okay. And then your FC will be like, why isn't there any damage on this guy? I'm like that's coming in like fifty seconds, sixty seconds. <laughs> It really did take forever. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not... I actually think this is, is great. I think it's very fair for them to not have point-and-click damage, but it shouldn't be point-and-read-a-book damage. <laughs> and finally, a Keepstar Doomsday device can no longer be activated on subcaps. Now, it is unclear... Uh, okay. ...unclear here if it can still hit them, because it does... Uh, it does bounce between various eligible targets. So it's not clear if it will still hit a subcap if uh, one is on field next to the capital ship that it's shooting, but you can no longer fire it on the subcap ship directly.
2: I am honestly okay with either way that goes. I assume uh, by the patch that the subcaps could still be hit by it, um, but I I would be okay either way.
0: I think mechanically it probably will be, because uh, they would have to have put it in some kind of restriction that it wouldn't be able to hit subcaps at all, which I'm sure would be definitely included if that were the case, because that's a pretty significant change.
2: Yeah, and, and it would be really fidgety to make work, right? Uh,
0: presumably. I mean, I know they've done a lot of work with this type mechanic with the Edencom ships. I don't know if it's the exact same code or not. Uh, but I know, for instance, you can use Edencom ships in high sec because they have brains in the guns, which will know if the target it's bouncing to is going to get you conquered or not and won't do it accordingly.
2: You know, I didn't cool. know that. <laughs> I didn't assume that was true. I didn't know that.
0: Well, don't quote me on it, but I've seen groups like Black Flag use Stormbreakers in la- in high sec against people they're at war with The counter to which would have been just put a couple ships that they're not at war with on field and get their entire fleet exploded by Concord. Since that didn't happen, I'm going to presume there is some kind of mechanic that prevents that possibility, because otherwise I don't know how it didn't work. If someone was in that fleet or fighting against that fleet and wants to correct me, please do. But as far as I know, there were no Concord incidents there. Their wire probably would have killed a substantial amount of the Black Flag fleet, so I'm sure we would have heard about it. But I could be wrong. Anyway, this is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, I think for most people, this hasn't really changed a lot. It's definitely made Athenors and Rytarus more killable than they have been before. It's going to be great for defenders, quality of life wise. The anti cap damage nerf. Uh, pretty substantial. I think it's definitely going to force um people to really think about if they're going to go anti cap or anti sub cap. But I still think that answer is going to be anti cap for most people. And the keep star dd, I think, is just a a sensible change all around. Uh, it's yeah, technically a nerf, but I see it more as a balance. Really, probably should have been that way at launch. <laughs> I agree. Zero. Any thoughts?
1: Nothing from me. All it's right. not a part of the game that I really have a lot of experience with.
0: Well, we have uh we were supposed to have, like I said, the leader of Cruisers crew here who I'm sure is pretty familiar with fighting on and against more structures than, than we are. And I don't think we've fought on a Fortis grid in an age. So uh we'll see. We'll we'll get some guests on here that have more experience, particularly in like Nelsek no campaign combat to maybe give us some insight as to how significant these changes are. I think the PDU damage cut in half is really significant, uh, and it's going to definitely give smaller ships a lot more time to play around. They'll be able to tank more shots, and they'll be able to have times when there's going to be a PDU reload. The bomb thing, I think, is it's fine. Uh, I don't think it's a huge issue either way. The one-minute reload is pretty harsh, but uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, what's one minute in like a two-hour fight that a lot of these bombs are going to be used in? Um, the the anti-cap damage nerf I think is pretty harsh. Um, we're probably going to see maybe more newt fits instead of damage fits. That could be a thing.
2: Oh, that'd be nice. I'd like. Yeah, okay. More utility on the on the structure fights would be nice.
0: Well, it definitely makes it more attractive, because right now, they're already pretty powerful, and now that your DPS is getting cut, the value of electing to put a neutralizer in that slot instead actually goes up quite a bit. After all, faxes are cap-dependent. If you can't break it with your damage anymore, you might as well nude it out and get someone to break it for you. And finally, the Proteus buffs... Um, We'll go through the numbers really quick, but more interesting than any of the numbers is really what they're going to mean for the Proteus. Uh, One of its subsystems is getting an extra 100 power grid. The augmented plating subsystem is getting a 25% reduction armor plate mass penalty. Uh, Ares pilots will be familiar with how awesome this bonus is. And it's getting a number of buffs to the drone subsystem. It's getting 20 extra CPU. It's getting 25 extra bandwidth, enabling it to fly a full flight, of five heavy drones, and it's getting a drone bay capacity bump up to 300, so it can field at least two sets of them, plus a set of lights and mediums, which is great. It's a uh, man, it is a pretty good hunter at this point. I mean, it's I think it might have jumped up to be with the best solo tech three. I mean, that drone subsystem is hard to disagree with. That's basically is it the firepower of an Ishtar.
1: I would love to see more Proteus in space. Yeah. It's just been Loki's ever since I started playing Eve. Uh, you see, it used to be a Tengu. You'd see the odd Tengu uh, when I first started playing initially, but then uh, they they seem to go away, and it's just Loki's everywhere. And I think it'd just be so nice to see people use this, you know, n- increased utility uh, just to come up with some new ideas and try them out. So I, I certainly um, I'm quite tempted, given that uh, I can actually almost fly the the T three Galente ships. That just uh, do something with it, perhaps uh, somewhere down the line.
2: Alec, didn't you used to fly like a super brick Proteus that had a quarter million effective hit points?
0: Yeah, um, I don't know if that was quite the hit point number. I'm uh, probably significantly less than that. But I used to love the Proteus. I thought it was a great, uh, a great hunting ship. It kind of fell out of favor when they reworked tech threes a couple of years back. And I've actually been using the eraser more ironically for anyone who's been a long time listener of the show. Eraser used to be on the noir ban list. I hated that ship. Didn't want anyone to use it. Um, uh, now I feel like it's kind of come into its own, um, with, with various changes to the game. It's actually, it's, it's pretty decent now with, um, uh, ancillary reps now and the way scramblers have changed and, the, you know, how all the other recons have changed sort of where the game is and micro jumps being a thing and, and needing to put a scrambler on a battleship to prevent it from easily escaping. And you know, there's just a lot, a lot of changes to the game that made the Arazu a lot more appealing. And I think a lot of the nice things about the Arazu are also nice about the Proteus. It's just a little bit more expensive. So with this change, I'm definitely going to be thinking about Proteus fits and whether or not I want to trade in my Arazus for a Pro. Certainly for the black ops uh, drops, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the nice thing about the Eraser is you can you can do both. Um, we can move caps and drop black ops with it. But yeah, that's uh, it's pretty darn cool. I think another interesting thing is how is this going to fare in the the EOS fleets that we've seen a lot of, uh, particularly down in the south. This uh, heavily tanked EOS fleet is kind of come in as a counter to hacks and a few other things. Uh, looks pretty darn nasty, and with the drone bay increase and the plate reduction, ma- plate mass reduction, that is uh, it's pretty cool. I don't know if there are occasions where you'd rather have a Proteus than an Eos, except maybe as a long-range tackler, but in the long-range tackler role I think now it looks a lot more appealing. You're contributing a ton more damage and you're going to have more fitting room for plates and more speed when you do fit them.
1: It seems that uh, everything's headed towards the potential for tank to be uh, more more defined by hit points and uh, the ability to just face tank damage again, which uh, people have been asking for for a long time, I understand.
0: Yeah, and I see the appeal. Um, You need a certain amount of hit points to survive the initial alpha, and as the game grows bigger, that's more and more important. Uh, it used to be, it was more about tanking the overall DPS numbers because you were likely to survive the alpha. And it was more about, you know, which Logiball ball is going to be able to hold out. But the game has consistently moved more and more toward alpha strike dominance. You know, are you going to field enough firepower to blast through an enemy ship before their reps land or not? Because the reps are usually, you know, or could potentially be overwhelming, like with faxes and stuff.
1: We see the same thing in, in our nano fleets, isn't it, where you know, if, if you're at a certain range from the enemy and, and they've got the ability to project alpha onto you from long range, it, you've, you've got two options. You either uh, sort of run away or, or you find a way to get close. And with this sort of change now, perhaps not so much in the nano context, but perhaps in other fleets, the ability to just sort of approach your enemy and actually getting close is something that people have wanted for a long time.
2: Yeah, the, the N plus one uh, combat alpha mechanic is is difficult to deal with unless you have the, the, the brick to deal with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's literally impossible to deal with unless you have the brick to deal with it. That's kind of the point. <laughs> if you could, it wouldn't be very useful. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that, and there's a big conflict brewing down south. In fact, two big conflicts where this might come into play. Uh, the one where I think it's least likely is Fire Co. versus RC. But more interesting is Imperium and potentially Imperium and Tri versus some of the groups down there in Esoteria. So first things first, Fire Co. and uh, Wrecking Crew, we've been covering on the show, they've been having some border skirmishes back and forth. It's kind of been in a lull for a little bit. Uh, Fire pushed them back a bit. Dread Bomb kind of collapsed, and, and you know, those groups went their various ways. And things have kind of been at a pause, but now things are heating up again with wrecking crew pushing and fire crew pushing back. It is a little bit hard to tell at the moment, which side has the upper hand. My sense from the sources that I've had that have been involved is that fire seems like they might be on a bit of a back foot at the moment, but it's very tenuous and there's definitely some back and forth going on there. Um, now, That's just my direct sources. There's also really good coverage on twitch.tv slash Imperium News. If you want to go to their recent videos, there's two streams covering um, the events in the South, in particular the stuff with Fireco. I'm not going to repeat their reporting here, but I'm, I'm encouraging you to go check it out. And we are going to keep an eye on this for sure, because we have a pretty big vested interest in this. There are groups in Wrecking Crew, which we really like. And there are groups in Fireco, which we really like and have had good relationships with both. So depending on, uh, on how things go, it, it could be significant. I don't think Wrecking Crew really wants to take a ton of space, but I think Fireco might. So we'll see. Uh, I think the risk for Wrecking Crew, the, the existential risk, is that they get pushed out and Fire essentially turns Providence into a renting region which I think would suck for everybody involved. So I hope that's not the outcome here. But I don't know what a wrecking crew victory looks like in this circumstance, except maybe they get a region they can rent. But I don't see wrecking crew breaking fire entirely without the involvement of another group.
1: It seems that the wars down there have been uh, fought on various fronts at the moment, uh, propaganda being part of it.
0: Yeah, there's a there's definitely a forum and stream element to this, and there's also multiple actual fronts in the game, uh, particularly because there are multiple conflicts not too far away from each other. The other uh, thing that's happening is there's an Imperium SIG that has deployed to Esoteria, and they have rapidly destabilized that region. Like, it happened <laughs> fairly frickin' quickly. Um and Try has popped up. They're starting to take Sov in the area, along with a couple other groups. It seems like this is mostly at the expense of Red Alliance, from what I can tell.
1: Yes, there's some suggestion of that, isn't there? And uh, it, it's a shame that uh, that's the case. I think, again, it's just, it's, for me, as a relatively new person to Eve, um, it's very difficult to understand, you know, who is who down there. I've seen various co- corps and groups mentioned over the years and I've become somewhat familiar with various of them and and the space generally I've tried to keep an eye on over time just to sort of understand the dynamics uh, and, and you know when things happened in the real world recently I did wonder what impact it would have in game Um, again like I say a lot, a lot of propaganda going on down there as well and it would be interesting to keep an eye on this
2: I'm really excited to see Tri show up I saw that they were recruiting a while, a while back and I was like oh I wonder, wonder if they're going to come back it's, it's always nice to see, uh, uh, I mean, I've been playing for 16 years, and it, it's like when old old corpse and alliances come back, You're like, it's like having old friends show back up to the party, right? It's always nice to see them pop up, even if I had nothing to do with them. <laughs> it's just nice to see them there.
0: Yeah, Tri is, I think, at this point, an EVE institution. It has collapsed and risen from the ashes again so many times. I don't even know what version of Tri we're on now, but it might be in the double digits. (laughs) But they're always consistently, regardless of who is at the helm or what corps are constituting them, their brand is really competent, really scrappy, medium-sized alliance that loves to fight and fights very well. And yeah, you got to love that. Um, Tri has always been a a very highly esteemed alliance to me, and I'm really excited to see them uh, kind of on the upswing. Could could only be a matter of time before another coalition takes a look at them and decides to wrecking ball all their stuff, but I'm sure once it happens, they'll dust themselves off, go to the other side of the map, and do it all over again. I think last time they were in the northwest, like a year ago.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: And uh, now they're, they're back almost literally on the other side of the map. It just seems to be their thing. Anyway, best of luck to them uh Red Alliance is cool as well. I don't want to see them knocked, but if I had to pick between the two
2: i honestly yeah like i I like Red alliance too um I flew with them a Jillion years ago, but uh I mean honestly, if I had to pick a side, my opinion is for sale,
0: yeah, quite true uh. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, we, we have a lot of respect and esteem for a lot of the alliances and just the way that our group plays. We have good relations with most coalitions. And, you know, it, it's it's sad to see friends fight, but to the extent they're going to...
2: And it's <laughs> it absolutely really the trademark of a long-time EVE player. I also have friends and have flown with people all over the map. and And I'm a recently returned Noir player. I was going to go with initiative. I was until I realized that Noir was recruiting again. I was like, ah, "I'll go back to Noir, but I, I very seriously considered joining Initiative.
0: Yeah, they're they're terrific. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just the way it is. So we will use our perspective, our contacts, to try to give you the best information we can on these ongoing conflicts. I uh, haven't been able to research the uh, Fire RC one as much as I wanted to for this show, but we're definitely going to look into it a bit more and bring you more detail in subsequent episodes as this conflict continues to heat up. And, uh, you know, maybe Fortune will smile on us and we'll get somebody from try to show up too. And finally, I just want to give you guys a quick update on the Anger Games. Practices are proceeding apace. I got the opportunity to comment on one of the open practices last weekend that was so much fun uh <laughs> if anyone out there has been dying to see yintan and myself back on some kind of audio production this was your chance we commentated quite a few matches together and did analysis super fun um,
2: absolutely going to click that the second we're done
0: <laughs> yes it, not to be missed it was really good and the matches were, were pretty thrilling um I think two things really jumped out at me. One is just how strong the Gila is in a lot of these matches. The Gila slash Gila, depending on how you prefer it. It is a a beast. Um, On paper, you know, on on TQ, it's a good ship. You'll see a lot of groups try to use it as a fleet doctrine, and it's not bad. In the tournament setting, it is really, really hard to deal with. Uh, It's just killing these small ships so quickly. And it's pretty kitey, pretty tough. Especially for that format where there's only so many tacklers that can pin them down, so they are doing extremely well. And the other cool innovation we saw was a group using vigilance. That is the Tech Two, excuse me, the Serpentus faction cruiser based on the Thorax hull. It also has a ninety percent web, just like its big brother, the Vindicator, but obviously costs less points. So we saw an alliance use a pair of them. To go in and 90% web down the opposing team's logistic frigates. And man, they did a fantastic job of it. Shredded them. Uh, probably the most effective anti-frigate logi tactic that I've seen of any team so far. Uh, and it led them to victory. Uh, it was a very thrilling match to call as well. So go check out that stream. We'll link it in the show notes here. Super cool stuff.
1: Very interesting to see teams using alternatives to the traditional tackle approach. You know, with the Gilers, didn't, you didn't—you didn't even need tackle. They were so good at wiping out ships so quickly that they, there was no need to tackle those ships. They could just be chased by their swarmer drones and eradicated. And then when it came to those loggy freaks, which of course usually fitted with an afterburner, you can't scramble those. You can't—you know—really tackle them very well unless you've got really sort of Loki webs or something like that. Well they really pinned them down. So yeah, very interesting.
0: And with all the battleship buffs and certainly in the practices that we've been running and have, have been witnessed to so far and other open practices, you know, you see a lot of teams thinking heavily about the battleships, you know, especially the way the points are structured, definitely seems like you could or should bring at least one, maybe up to three battleships in your comp. But I think what we saw with the meta as far as this open practice was that those teams were actually getting outshadowed by groups that invested more heavily in these kitey cruisers. So we'll see how that meta evolves. The battleship's got a significant buff, and, and structure wise, it makes a lot of sense to put your points there. But teams are showing us that might not be the obvious way, might not be the way that people are actually going to go. So it'll be extremely interesting to see how this meta evolves over the course of the next couple weeks as we gear up for the actual Anger games themselves.
2: And to be fair, uh, EVE theory crafters uh, live to go where you don't expect them to go, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. But it should be noted, you know, for everyone that's thinking about healers, there are effective healer counters, uh, both on TQ and in the tournament. So those could come into play, or we could see teams just saying, hey, let's just ban it entirely and not have to worry about it. So it'll be, you know, there's the meta and then there's the reaction to the meta. Then that's always the interplay. If you've got your dominant fleet concept that everyone's using, but there are also counters to that, which rise in popularity, and then people have to figure out how to deal with those. So we'll see how the various teams decide to react to this. But I think one thing is clear. Every team needs to have a Gila plan, either to use it or counter it or ban it. Because leaving it alone and not factoring it in seems to bite you in the ass. Absolutely. Well, real quick, my host highlight. uh, The snuff drop where we were fighting cruisers crew with uh, no forks and I read an SPD. I was flying a Devoter. I was the main hick tackle for the fleet. I went in to get some points on CC uh, dreadnoughts. I got those points. Everything was looking good for a couple minutes, and then the Sino got lit. Boom, the snuff Black Ops fleet. We're like, okay, Black Ops, not too bad, we can fight that. And then I think double digit super carriers came through and things hit the fan. I was tackled by another hick on the opposing side. <laughs> so we were like hick pointing each other like it was always sunny at one point. And, man, I was never been so happy to be an addict of dual propping my ships. I I dual prop every ship I can because it's just so damn useful. The micro warp drive to close range, to run away from range, and when you do get scrammed, the afterburner to have range control after you get scrammed and to mitigate damage or to conserve capacitor while still keeping some movement. I cannot recommend highly enough how worth it it is to make your ship do that. And yeah, if I hadn't, I would definitely be a casualty of that snuff drop. But as it was, despite all the attention paid to me and being pointed by at one point multiple ships, uh, I was able to moonwalk out of there. I afterburned out of range of the Hick, and then once I could pop my micro-warp drive on again, I skated away from the heavier ships that were pointing me and managed to narrowly escape with my life. It was very, very sweaty.
2: <laughs> That's a good story. Diamond. Oh, yeah. So I've been playing EVE uh, in one capacity or another since 2005, I want to say. And this this last contract, that we completed in solitude, was the first time that like an alliance director of some kind said, hey, your services were rendered. Here is your pay contract. <laughs> And it was my first paycheck in EVE ever that was, like, just for that. Just, you you showed up and you did your thing. Good job. Here is your money. I was so excited to get it. I was literally, like, I was glowing for three days. I was like, that's amazing. I can't believe that actually happened. It's the first time ever. Oh,
0: making my heart melt. Yeah, man, congratulations. Uh, I believe it was a combination of your... Um, your kills, and then also you got voted for a category. I think.
2: Yeah, I got top on two. Yeah, yep.
0: well earned. You were all over the place, especially during the twilight hours of late uh, late US, early Pacific time. Making that things happen. Is,
2: that is a problem with living on the other side of the world.
0: Well, it's, it's not a problem. It's a. It's not a bug. It's a feature.
2: That's you right. That and it was delightful. I had tons of fun. We got lots of kills and had some fun and. At the end, I couldn't like the contract was over, and I was like, oh. Because last time I was with Noir, uh, I, there, we did do contracts, but the, the mul- bulk of my gameplay was played around uh, something we were doing voluntarily, which wasn't contract-based. So I, although I was there and did participate lots, I didn't get a contract payout. So this was literally my first time. I was pretty excited.
1: Zero, what's your highlight? Ah, so I won't go into too much detail on this story, uh, but... A few of us have been um, chasing people around uh, the contract area, as we said, in faction warfare space. And one of the things I found really interesting uh, to try and and mess about with was this idea that only certain ships can fit in certain places. So the the one that really piques my interest is the small complex or the small, you know, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, you can fit destroyers and frigates in there, uh, but nothing bigger than that. And you've Interestingly, I don't think you can put a T3D in there. Uh, but you can take other types of destroyers. So one of the things that we've we've done is is try to use the frigates more than anything else. We're trying to, you know, provoke fights. We're trying to be effective with smaller ships. But we keep coming up against destroyers. And, of course, people will know destroyers uh, are, you know, very effective at melting frigates. So there was this one uh, occasion um, just a few days ago where... Uh, a few of us were trying to work out how to engage a group of destroyers in the small. Uh, you know, if you go in there too heavy-handed, they're all just going to warp away, right? You know, as soon as you jump in system, there's a spike. They know what you're, you're up to. Uh, they see you outside the, the gate. Uh, they sat there and they destroyers in the small, and and they're just going to run away. So Akeo um, was leading the charge on this one, and he. He, he got a few of them in there and um, decided to just face tank destroyers in these uh, faction frigs and did a reasonably good job of that. But um, they, they did a little too much DPS and we did end up losing something. AKO, in fact, uh, was one of the ones that lost something. So in we all went. There was a few of us, about four or five of us, and we all sort of went and and they uh, predictably uh, disappeared. Uh, there were a few kills here and there, but in the end, there were a few of us ended up in in faction frigs uh, or other types of sort of kitey stuff um, in this in this small complex. And we thought that would be it, right? We thought the the locals they're not going to come and fight us for this small complex. They're just going to leave us to it. Uh, but no, um, suddenly we realised that they've all formed up in some frig in some destroyers, and they're coming after us. So what do we do? Are we going to run away? Well. We knew there was too much to handle, right? There was just one or two too many destroyers. And if they coordinated well and they landed, and no matter how much we could sort of predict where they were going to land and kite away, uh, if we were going to engage them, we were going to lose stuff if we, if we didn't play it carefully. But Akeo had this very bright idea of um, going back to the staging and, and grabbing uh, an assault frigate and running back to us, and what, what ended up happening was he managed to interrupt uh, this stream of ships, this stream of destroyers that were coming into the small complex by tackling a few outside. And uh, he, he just timed it just right so that, you know, there was a little steady stream, there was a punisher, there was a coercer, and uh, I think there was a cormorant or something else, or you know, something else with, with sort of short-range damage coming in to, to us, and, um, we, we were sort of you know, able to kill those, um, but of course the KO then was outside with two destroyers on him, and he had to face tank the damage from two destroyers for a good 45 seconds while we pinged off and then managed to walk back to the outside of this small complex and finish them off and save him. Um, and interestingly, in his in his assault trick, he didn't even use an assault damage control. <laughs> I'm not going to go any further than that because I've seen the video and I was very impressed with how he managed to uh, just face tank all that DPS for so long. Probably the enemy uh, very puzzled as to why they were sort of at very close range on this assault frigate and unable to kill it. Um, so for me, that was my uh, little highlight of the week.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, well, it was something. Uh, and there is a, uh, a YouTube video, as he alluded to. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well uh it's just like (laughs) big bold letters tank mode yes he's just eating a ridiculous amount of damage uh destroyer tracking notoriously high so at one point he just gives up and sits still and just takes everything like a like a stone mountain against a crashing wave it's really impressive
1: (laughs) Uh, it's uh, thanks to Ikeo's bravery and Erdin Hawk's knowledge of Factor and warfare space that we were m- able to you know, calmly deal with our situation and, and come out on top. But uh, very, very fun.
0: I want to give a shout out to our Golden Elite supporters Acer Card, Bodie Wilson, Fayette Atreides, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Tane Tengu, and Tweak. Thank you for supporting the show. If you want to become a VIP subscriber or join the Golden Elite, head to patreon.com slash D-O-W. And I also want to give a shout out to the Kybernauts. This is a, a Pochven Triglavian Pseudo-RP, I guess, alliance. Uh, Sabat, Nicholas, Opus, great dudes, Opus, former Noir guy. Uh, they're really fun to fly with, and they have been turning up for some of our timers here in Faction Warfare space, and we're going to go join them in a wormhole in a little bit. Just good good overall bros, and uh, it's been a pleasure to get closer to them over the past couple of weeks. Diamond?
2: Oh, my shout-out this week will go to the uh, EVE community at large. The Plex for Good was a fantastic success, and as for such a hardened group of seasoned veterans who manufacture primarily rage, it is nice to see that we never take that outside the game, really, and that to each other we're always... Uh, uh, always pulling for each other in the best way. So it makes, makes me proud to be a member of the community.
1: And Zero? Uh, for me, it's uh, definitely the community of Eve University. Uh, in the last few days, they've had to put up a staunch defense against uh, a rogue NPC, Shadow Serpentist Titan, in the, their Nalset campus. Uh, it's claimed the, the lives of several rat in ships. Um, you know, unwitting people have sadly warped in on a belt and been faced with a Titan. And have been one shot or whatever it is. Um, so they they had a, a good two attempts at this thing before um, they, they gave up and, and rallied. There was a bit of a rallying cry then because they just didn't have the, the ships or anything uh, uh, nearby. So they were, it was a big effort. You know, Several people got involved to try and get ships through the Sancher incursion into their campus so that we could get enough pilots into those ships. In the end, um, I, I, I lent a hand. And uh, I just want to give a shout-out uh, particularly to Kalis, Cylon, and Maxima for their, their efforts. But there were very many people involved in this. And um, in the end, a uni-wide ping led to about 30-odd destroyers being undocked. And we we melted that, uh, that uh, NPC Titan. And um, there's some lovely pictures. Uh, it's just nice to see, you know, how content sometimes uh, can just be as simple as, you know, this challenge we need to overcome as a community. And everyone seemed to have um, a big sigh of relief that their rat in home is now free from a, a Titan.
0: Super cool. That's it, guys. Head to com to participate in our show poll. Head to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash alexafk to comment on our show highlights. And just a reminder, Nord Recruitment is back on. We are just wrapping up this contract here. In Between Contracts is a great time to join us because it gives you some time to acclimate before we go out on a job. If you've at all thought about getting your first EVE paycheck or you want to be part of the content that we talk about here on this podcast, come hang out with us. Uh, you can join us in-game, CafeNOR. where you'll find a link to our Discord. And uh, there's also links to our Discord on, of course, the Declarations of War website. And just in general, we'd love to get to know you and see if it's a good fit. So come on, take the plunge. It's a great time to join. Um, we've got an interest from a couple new people. We're getting some new blood in the corp right now. And overall, I think we've had our best couple contracts the past few. Um, we kind of like had some hard contracts at the start of the year, and we lost a couple people. We really had to struggle and, and theory craft our way through it. And now it feels like we've kind of gotten much better and tighter as a group and we're moving forward onto bigger and better things. And like I said, flying the best we have in a long time and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Whoever you are, wherever you're flying and whoever you're killing good hunting listeners.